I once was baking the cakes. I was the barista. I was the roaster. I'm writing the newsletters. I'm doing the marketing and, and all of that. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. This week, we're chatting with Ralph Ruller, founder, CEO, and the creative force behind The Barn in Berlin, a curated specialty coffee business with 10 shop locations and a roastery within Berlin, plus three international stores spanning Mallorca, Dubai, and most recently in Seoul, Korea. In this conversation, Ralph shares his entrepreneurial journey from a career in international banking, a stint in acting school in London, before stepping into the world of coffee and founding his own business. We also discuss his ambitions for and the reasons behind his international expansion and how his total obsession with quality has always been at the core of his business philosophy. In this interview, I was particularly struck by Ralph's rigorous approach to maintaining his personal vision of such high standards. No doubt there's a lot of hard work, control and discipline built into this growing micro-coffee empire. Welcome, Ralph. Hey, how are you doing? Great. It's been a while since we caught up in person, but lovely to have you on the show. It'd be wonderful if you could give us a little bit of a background on how you got into coffee. How long do you want this recording to be? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I lived in London for a while. I'm German, but I worked in London for 10 years. And I, I worked in finance, actually. I, uh, I came to, to, to London to work in, in finance. Then I lost my job uh, in one of the um, financial crises of the city of London and, and, and globally. Um, and I had a period in my, in my life where I felt like I, I need to figure out maybe to, to take a new direction, um, not finance. I thought I had done that for long enough. So I was actually taking classes at drama school in London in Swiss Cottage. <laughs> so I did that for a few years and um, it was more a period for, for myself. I, I started working when I was very young at the age of 17. I never went to university or anything like that. So I went straight into a work pattern and I never had a period where I could try out other things. And that acting period was kind of like for me and not so much as to have a career in that. And um, also, I guess, being stereotyped as a German for, you hear the thick accent. For a while, I, I started going back to, to Berlin back and forth and then decided to move to Berlin. And for me, that was then, cut a long story short, the, the point where I felt like I need to do something new. And then a friend said, before you're hanging, hanging out in coffee shops doing nothing, why don't you come and help me in mine? So that was a more of a daily lunch place um, with fresh foods and, and, and cakes and coffee. And I learned kind of hospitality there for a year and a half. And then I had the urge of um, starting my own business. And uh, that's really when everything happened to me. I felt, okay, I, if I want to do something and create it by myself, it needs to be on my own terms. So 
I was kind of going to the countryside uh, outside of Berlin thinking, what is really my passion? And it uh, always came back to three things, um, coffee, homemade cake and uh, good bread, which at the time when I lived in London was still very rare to find. And I was craving it still when I was in Berlin. So um, I started uh, the barn in 2010, um, really focusing on the three things. And it was coffee was then like a door that opened and I got like really infected by the coffee virus and uh, got obsessed in uh, doing it the best way I can. Yeah, I remember visiting Berlin, I think it was 2010, I think you only had one and then you opened a second one, which was the famous venue where you apparently put um, bollards up to uh, keep out the, the push chairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One bollard uh, <laughs> was enough to block the door. But um, yeah, that was really an intense period and never intended to get such global press coverage. But um, I guess in retrospect, what it did was really because I had an opinion and it had reason. Um, so to really um, the street credibility of what I did went up massively. And I think that also helped me on what, what I believe is uh, a mission in um presenting uh, coffee in the best possible way and to push the borders of quality up really. And um, by, by doing so, creating a market for premium coffee through experiencing really um, um, clean flavors, terroir and all the things that we stand for. Um, so that was really an opportunity to, um, to create even more brand loyalty, if you will, and um, to, to stand for um, something that is important to me. And um, it, it, it wasn't meant to be a, a marketing campaign, which some people suggested, um, <laughs> because suddenly we are like on the front page of The Guardian and people were debating, is it okay to say no? Um, and, um, but for us, it was really useful because we had serving standards where we said like, for instance, we are not serving our hand-brewed coffees with milk. And for some people, that's outrageous to have such um, a restriction of how you want to enjoy your coffee. But for us, it was more like we want you to experience terroir. And uh, of course, um, our coffees taste good with milk, but the hand brews are um, they're, they're handmade in front of you. You can watch us brew them. We tell you a farm story and we connect you to the farm really and then we would like you to enjoy this coffee in the best possible way. And I, th I think these serving standards were quite important to really make a point um, and to take people into our world and have a new coffee product, if you will, and um, start enjoying coffee purely without milk and sugar. And uh, I think that that, that, that period was um, a little bit stressful because I'd, I never meant to... Um, to say like, we don't like children or anything like that. It was more a practical uh, reason. It was a roastery and a very open one. And I was learning how to roast at the time and I couldn't really handle um, those, those things around me very well. And so, but interestingly, at the time, it was applauded globally whilst the Germans, and I am German, so I can say this, um, were moaning and complaining and didn't really see the meaning and um, were a little bit more negative on it. So it, I think internationally it was a very positive and locally was being seen more critical. 
Wow. What, what an interesting development to happen at such an early part of your coffee career. Where is the barn now? How many outlets? And tell us a little bit about you know, how the business has grown. So in 2012, we opened the roastery with a second cafe attached to it. That, that's the one we just talked about. And then it took us another three years, really, to have the next uh, outlet. Number three was we took over the famous Café Kranzler in West Berlin. Oh, yeah. Really an, inst- an institution. I love that, that place, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's like this round cafe on the second floor of this 1950s building and uh, overlooking a really busy uh, boulevard near the zoo. But the, the three years between uh, number two and number three was really focusing on roasting, wholesale, also e-commerce and getting everything right in sourcing, farm relationships to really have a product at a level where I wanted it to be. And, and so after that, after Kranzler, we then opened uh, five more in Berlin. And also the main reason was our B2B business is mainly international. In Germany and in Berlin, we did not really have such presence in B2B. And I can explain the reasons a little bit later, but it, for us, it was an invitation to open our own shops in Berlin. And we really like interior design and creating individual spaces. And so, um, yeah, we, uh, we opened uh, five shops, I think, within uh, 18 months or something like that. So now we have, in Berlin, we have 10. We, uh, during the pandemic, we opened a new roastery to expand our capacity. And, uh, and then we have shops uh, in Dubai, in, in Palma de Mallorca, and I'm mean, in, in Seoul, in Korea right now. So uh, two days ago, we opened a cafe here in Seoul, the flagship store. So that's thir- 13 then. Yeah, Still small, but all at the highest quality and really um, a brand experience, I think, for everything we stand for in terms of product. Mm. And... The business itself, uh, how, how has that gone? Have you managed um, to turn it into a profitable business or is it still a business that, you know, is keeping having to invest more money in? Like I said, I started the business when I already had a career and it was quite important to me to do something that I'm proud of and uh, something also that I would believe in. And so designing the first shop and operating the first shop and creating the menu, I never really looked at market or what market would expect from me and what are people doing and what's trendy and this and that. If I had done that, I would have probably been just another Australian brunch place serving avocado toast with poached egg and an average blend. But I felt really, and that's also related kind of to my time in London when I had these fish and chip shops where I felt like, oh my God, they've been here 50 years. They still look the same and they still have the same great quality. I wanted to be known for certain product and a specific standard. And so ever since, to answer the question, I I always reinvested into the business, into quality, into people. Every position that uh, the company now has was once mine. I once was baking the cakes, I was the barista, I was the roaster, I'm writing the newsletters, I'm doing the marketing and and all of that. But it is um, a profitable business. Um, We never made any losses, but um, we we always reinvested. So I think it's, it's quite important also to stay relevant and to keep pushing product quality up. Absolutely. As a former chef myself and having worked with some of the best in the world, I align with that absolute quality aspect. 
it must be a journey of going from you know a, a banker to you know a kind of a an acting school and then to setting up your own business from scratch and you know without business partners i'm i'm assuming on that one yeah yeah and so how has that journey been with people yeah i mean like coffee we would never say we mastered it we are all still learning and progressing and it's a journey i think it's so also so infectious and it gives me so much energy to to work with with people and we always talk about communities at the source of so all the farmers that are involved but also my roast team and everybody i work with and then first and foremost also my customers i and i really miss that 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 party i sometimes find myself clearing tables and dishes on a saturday afternoon in the old grocery and uh, i really really enjoy speaking with customers and their feedback and listening to their stories everybody has a coffee story to tell and everybody and i had that a few weeks ago we um i worked in the cafe and i said to the operations people let's talk to customers and then they said oh no i'm sure they don't want to be disturbed and i'm i said what no no you talk to this one i talked to her you talk to him and then three minutes later we were all in kind of conversations uh, about coffee and it's and that's really giving me so much energy and um and 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 reason also it's it's quite an exhausting kind of job and sometimes doing so much at the same time on different levels and in different areas we sometimes forget to to have a break um, because it's like even here you know I today I we was waiting for a car and there was a cute coffee shop at the corner and I just it attracted me it was so cute and then minutes later I was in conversations with the baristas and it's just like I really really enjoy the fact that coffee is such a connecting uh product and and it's also the senses and 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 people have coffee experiences in cafes and they meet other people and I feel like especially after the pandemic and I'm not sure if I'm still answering your question here but I <laughs> it's it's people are drawn into the coffee shops they are really longing to to get out of their home offices back into place where they can see other humans and hear them and and talk to them and and coffee is such a an interesting subject that really disconnects from any social standard from any belief and it's i, I find the most democratic product and that we have and when 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 we talk about coffee pricing and things going up i mean it's it's um and maybe for some people a lot of money to pay three, four, five euros or pounds for a cup of coffee but if you do that once a day or twice a week to have something really special then um um i feel that's that's still a very affordable product and what are the keys to to running a, a, you know a micro chain of such high quality and such a high quality offering i think you need to set set your standards very early on and then you just need to stick to them but then communicating i think the challenge that uh, a lot of people see is like okay you can do one shop or maybe two but um, can you really then expand and and keep the quality and i mean in in the global context i'm tiny um but i'm quite proud that um i was um able to expand over 13 locations and uh i can drink coffee in any of them and i'm fully standing behind the product so I I I also believe that the people that join me here at the barn they the the values are still intact they still know what who we are and 
why why we do what we do. There's always a reason behind everything we do in terms of serving, presenting, um, and I I find um, if you if you're clear about it from the beginning, then it can carry a long way. But um, I also feel my role as being the guard and sort of key person that also needs to repeat and and be there and be present and be accessible and and still be relevant. And then I feel like there's a lot of people that are attracted by that. And then you, of course, it's we we teach a lot. We 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 have a full-time trainer um really to bring bring everybody onto the same level. But they kind of gravitate towards that, those standards. That's why they join the company in the first place, I think. But the main challenge is always people and to to motivate them and to give them a reason to to stay also. Yeah. And what about technology? You know, how important has technology been in making sure that you can create systems that are repeatable that you know, because you, you can't be in 13 places at, the, at, the, at each time? So what we did from the beginning was like every bar, barista that works in any of the bars needs to um, write down in Google Sheets what they taste in the morning when they are um, calibrating, when they are pulling the first shot. They give us feedback on every coffee that we are using with a roast date and with taste notes and also the, the measurements from, uh, the, you know, use refractometer and things like that. So we can we can see what they write. So we can also detect if um, maybe there's a problem. Someone needs training, but uh, it also gives feedback to the roaster. And I felt always when 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 cafes started roasting and then they start growing and then there's this disconnect between roastery and baristas when the baristas don't really know about the coffee and they say yeah it's some blend and the roaster is choosing it this and that. I think if they are losing their voice and their interest in what's in their hopper and what what they are serving, I think then you really lost a very important connection uh, to the product. So we, um, the, my roast head roaster, for instance, every time we release a new coffee, which almost happens weekly, we have a seasonally rotating portfolio of single origin coffees. So there's always a coffee that is running out and then we have a new one. He's cupping it and he's recording that session uh, for the staff to really keep them informed and give them the feeling that they really belong to the to the whole thing. And they're not just like serving coffee in a bar. Incredible. What? Yeah, that level of standards, um, impeccable. So you mentioned earlier that your wholesale business has been largely international. Uh, um, why is that? Yeah, really simple, I guess. Well, number one is when I started the barn, there was no reference for quality for me in Germany. And I, even though the market and the quality uh, moved, um, it's still not really at a level where I think it could be. Uh, so my, my personal learning and uh, references were international. I guess that's also one of the main reasons why the barn is also international. And, and in being located in Berlin-Mitte, I would say 80% of our customers are from other countries. But for me, it was clear that I want to work with farmers to push their quality up and then that I would have to pay for that quality. So I need to develop a premium market for me. I can't be in the middle market and match price demands by B2B customers. And in Germany, it's a big nation with a lot of people in it. And I'm sure you have been to Aldi or Lidl or at least seen it. Mm, you know, I have. 
supermarkt. Good value. Supermarkt. <laughs> and so, yeah, Germans are driven in supermarkets and it's totally driven by pricing. Right now we have an inflation and everybody is screaming. <laughs> But I feel like the prices that we now have in German supermarkets are normal <laughs> in a European context. Um, finally, you know, we pay a price for an egg or a, a yogurt where it should be. My sisters know what 500 grams of coffee should cost because that's what the advertisement and that's what the supermarkets are telling them. And it's such a low price. It's uh, really painful for me to, to see or to go into markets. So I would say like, because such a high percentage of coffee is being purchased in supermarkets, Germans traditionally paying a very, very low price for coffee. And, and on the B2B side, your potential cafe partner would ask you, one of the first questions would be like, what's the price for a kilo? And what can I get for free? Can you give me a coffee machine or, or um, espresso cups or umbrella with your logo on it? And we don't do that. Whereas, for instance, when I talk to a potential B2B customer in Dubai, we talk about the flavor. And, 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 and the, the, the terroir or the farmer or the processing, uh, the cup profile. So pricing is never the first thing that we talk about. And I find that so much more interesting to, to cater for a market that is interested in the coffee and the quality of the product and not so much into cheaper and give me more volume at a lower price. I think that's really not why I'm in this business. I'm really in this business to create also a brand around the farmers that I work with. Yeah, one of my farmers is Mohamed Ali in, in Ethiopia, and I want people to know Mohamed Ali and to connect through the cup to this farm and then to pay a high price for that. And then that makes this farmer independent and hopefully he stays with me forever But theoretically, he can go anywhere else and ask for a high price because he is, suddenly he has a brand around his farm. And I really believe that we, or at least some of us who can, should connect to the farm, work with the farm and really pay up for the product if the quality is there. And that you need to develop with the agronomists and the exporters that are on the ground And then you can bring someone from 84 to 86 points or even higher. And if I have a better cup that I can sell, then I can ask for a higher price. So I feel like rather than just trading everything down, there needs to be people like me that are pushing the other end up. And to create awareness for that and to create a market for that, that's... Um, That's a super interesting job. And I think that's why I love my job so much. Great. Well, that's a, that's a fabulous story there. Now, turning to international, you've now got three out of, out of 13 stores international. Why, go, why, why open stores internationally? It's one thing to sell wholesale coffee. It's another thing to actually set up stores. Why do that? That's a good question. <laughs> No, I'd really like my my concept and my coffee to be experienced in other countries, and um, um, not not only 
90% of the B2B business is international. Also a high percentage of my web business, I, my subscription service is, um, is international. And so we do have a lot of followers in, for instance, in, in, in Korea. And so I would like to give them the experience. And I think through this brand experience, say now this store in, so in Seoul, um, we accelerate B2B more here. Um, so people can really see we are successful. I've just been to the store. There's a huge queue and hopefully it stays busy post the first uh, year. Um, but uh, if we play our part right, um, there is no reason to, to be trendy because people are hopefully attracted by, by, the, by the cup quality and they can't go anywhere else. But we really um, felt that we can be successful in other countries. And we, we want to give people that, that brand experience. And um, in Dubai, we, we are not in a mall, we are in a park. And um, we ask the local Emiratis to park their car and walk over grass to reach our little pavilion in the park. They do that. And um, it's also, for me, an ex expression of appreciation to create a, a destination a cafe um, That is not a drive-by, you hunk your horn and you you get your uh, flat white. I feel like I really um, believe um, in the mission and in making great coffee accessible, but also to brew in front of people and to in include them in the process of of creating a, a great cup and then to 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 share my knowledge. So it It really connects. I mean, if you had, I always use Nano Chala from Ethiopia. If you had this this nectarine vanilla flavor coming from a pure coffee bean, and brewing it in front of you, and and you are sitting down and you just let this coffee do something with you, and you're connecting with it. I think that's an unforgettable experience, which changes your mind in how to per perceive coffee as a product. You're an incredible creator. You've created something absolutely fantastic with such high standards and international appeal. And, you know, as Frank Sinatra would have said, I did it my way kind of thing. What were the lessons that you learned along the way? Um, maybe pieces of advice that you were given that you took in and absorbed to, to get you where you are today? The advice that I usually give when people are starting a business, a cafe or a roastery is really to, to re really to, um, to focus on the product and to be really clear about what they want to do and to make it, to make it their own. For me, it was the best decision not to look at market, for instance, and just to serve what I like and not to serve what people wanted me to serve. I feel like that's quite important to be a specialist, to really, uh, it's called specialty coffee. So we are all specialists and, and not generalists. And so you can't please everyone. So at, from a consumer perspective, it's so much more interesting if you have someone who's really good at sourdough bread, um, the big winners in the pandemic, like um, high quality local handmade bread. And, 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 and so the market becomes a lot more interesting rather than having these global chains that are uh, exchangeable, um, a marketplace is a lot more interesting if you have a lot of 
specialists in it um, that are good at something and then focus on that. I feel that for me is um, then people can reach you, they know what you stand for, and then they can build a connection and they can, they will be your regulars. I feel you don't want to be a cafe that has the best music, uh, sexy baristas, you know, and and uh, fancy cups, uh, because then there will be another disco that opens and then the whole crowd is moving to the new disco. I feel like um, there must be more than just the ambience or the product packaging. For me, it's really clear it has to be um, the quality and then obviously the hospitality and, you know, how you're engaging with your customers and make them feel welcome. And then also you can build something that you are proud proud of. And um, But also if it fails, then you do it within your your own means. And especially in coffee shops, when you think about design, you know, to really make it individual and personal and give it your own touch rather than copying over. I think in London, there was a period when everything looks like Fernandes and Wells, I remember, And then it it was really confusing for me sometimes. And I felt like, oh, this is this Fernandez and Wells? Oh, no, it's some other concept that put all the um, food open. <laughs> I really think, you know, being uh, being very um, individual and very, um, very, very focused rather than being a generalist, I think that would be still for us uh, we still have debates for instance we never do decaf or we never did decaf and um, instead after I think six years it was we started low cough by uh, by finding a naturally low caffeinated product rather than a processed one and and now we're having this internal debate um, should we do sugarcane decaffeination it it is better and And we're still debating it. And half of my team says like, no, we don't stand for this. We, we don't do this. Uh, we only do like natural pr products. And then my roster says, yeah, but everything is processing. And the coffee is processed at the farm. So it may as well be processed in this way. And if it cups well and it, 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 it scores high, then we can do that. And, and so we are having these, these debates on like, how can we evolve and how can we um, adopt and and expand in that sense. Well, in just about 13 years of trading, you've opened 13 stores. Was there any moment where you thought, this is just not worth it? No, not really. Um, I mean, the pan pandemic was hard, but uh, we had a great sense of accomplishment uh, in that period, even though it was a lot of work, paying rent for all these cafes and finance it with uh, trade. That, but that was a great sense of achievement. And uh, you can always lose everything any moment. But I, I don't think fear is a good advisor when you build a business. I, I think you're just driven by, by the business and the opportunities and um, think about, you know, how can you evolve it further? For us, for me, it was clear if you open a second or third store, you may as well like open more. It's the same. You need systems for everything, uh, structure, uh, operations managers, uh, trainer, um, the roast team. So I think the point where I am now, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to make these departments that we are creating for like marketing, e-commerce, B2B and so on, more independent and um, so, so I can focus more on, um, developing the company and bringing in the ideas. 
I mean, t- to this date, I'm still doing quite a bit in terms of um, the product, the brand. Um, I work very closely with the the roast team. Um, I'm I'm in the process of handing over farm visits right now to the roaster, but up until recently, I've done that as well on key accounts internationally, and even the design of the cafes. That's all very personal. There's not like a architect or any design studio behind it. And as you can see also from the the coffee bags, um, they're pretty simple. So even though uh, it was tempting to think about maybe evolving the bag, we also felt it's a clear message um, of simplicity and craft paper and kind of the opposite of the trends of making things flashy and boxed and wrap your coffee more in like gift packages rather than just a simple simple coffee bag. What's next for the barn? What, are we expecting any more new openings, any more new countries? What can we expect over the next two yeah. years? Oh, yeah. So there's like no master plan, really. Um, go with the flow. There's probably uh, more happening in the UAE. The region is seeing another boom right now. And we feel we have a really good pole position there in terms of roasting and um, and business requests that we are seeing. So we probably do more there. We we will probably also roast in, in Korea very soon. Actually, that's a given. The roast machine is on the way. And that would be the first time when we are uh, when we start roasting in another country. And that is an interesting challenge to keep the profiling in sync and to source coffees for two locations, two different continents. Also, the roast team is very much looking forward to have this international kind of aspect. Also, maybe also another reason for opening cafes in other countries. It, in Berlin, we have 32 nationalities under one roof. And as a German, I'm the minority there. And uh, it feels also um, opening in other countries or now in Korea. It's kind of like also reflecting of our st- the structure of humans that we have in Berlin. So um, it's, it's, it's a very positive impulse for, for, for the company to see that uh, we are internationally expanding. So we, we will do that and we will do more, but in a controlled way and always with the strong partners on the ground. I think what I want to do with the brand is uh, really now growing it a lot more. Um, I'm in the process of figuring out what the best way is to do that in terms of partners to really stay truthful also to the to the values and to the product but that for me is is very clear that it's a global brand but it's not a huge business and i would like to reach more people uh with my coffees wonderful that's a great way to leave it thanks so much ralph for joining us here today on fifth wave cool 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 thank you so much And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. If you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. Link is in the show notes. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, with sound engineering by Chris Brister. And this week's song, in collaboration with the Coffee Music Project, is Little Pieces by Pablo Mia Mia. And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated. 
Hands have been forced to live their lives. 